Joe and Big Al are all about having a plan for retirement. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 381, using examples from past YMYW episodes, we'll cover five questions you need to answer before you retire so you can stay retired. Click the link in the description of today's episode, your favorite podcast app to access free financial resources to help you answer each retirement question and to send in your own money queries. Click Ask Joe and Big Al on air in the podcast show notes and send them in as an email or a priority voice message. I'm producer Andy Last with the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA. The first question you need to answer before you retire is, can we afford to retire? I got a surprise for you. Yeah, I, I heard so, we got a new retirement calculator. Yeah, this is original content by, <laughs> by Alan Clopine. All right, Big let's, Al. let's see it. So because, Joe, we're about to start up our new TV show season, so I'm trying to come up with some new thoughts because this is season five. And it's like, how many ways can you have a show to say, here's how you figure out you're on track for retirement? Right. So I guess the, the formula, and people have heard us say this before, but uh, I will repeat it. Like, let's just say... You know, you want to spend seventy-five thousand uh, dollars in in retirement. So, and and most people don't even know what they're spending. So, take a start. Take a look at your net pay. You know, your net pay and your net paycheck. You know, maybe it's whatever, whatever. You know, let's just say it's um, I don't know, five thousand uh, uh, dollars every two paychecks, twenty-five hundred dollars per pay, right? And you get paid twice a month, so that's five thousand dollars per month is your saving. Twelve months, that's sixty thousand dollars is what you're spending. If you're married, maybe you add your spouses to that. And then you got to figure out, am I spending more than that or less? In other words, am I, am I charging up my retirement accounts and my home equity loans? So in other words, I'm spending more. Or am I actually saving, right? So right. maybe I'm spending less. But you got to start with that figure, what, what you're currently spending. How many people do you think know that number? Well, they don't. That's why I'm giving you a shortcut. <laughs> yeah. How many people do you think will follow the shortcut? Uh, everyone. That's a problem, though, you know? I, uh, yeah. Because it, if they would just spend a little bit of time to yeah, so, figure out exactly so here, what that spending is. So here's a 10-minute formula. All right. Take 10 minutes of your life to yes. know whether you're on track exactly. for, for retirement. But, uh, right? That's the, all you need. This is So this is it. So I'm t- giving you step one, Got right? It. Which is figure out your spending by looking at your net pay. Now, if you're a business owner, this is quite much more complicated. Absolutely. Yeah. But so this is for people that are wage earners. They've got net pay, and then they get a sense, am I spending all of it, or mm-hmm. am I saving some of that? Right. And I'm not counting your 401k or your 403b. That's, it's that's, already taken from your gross. I'm yeah. talking about your net, what's left over. What, what gets the direct deposit in your exactly. checking Exactly. What comes into your checking account? Are you spending all of that? Then maybe that's your, your average Living spend. Expense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in our example, let's just say it's $75,000. Okay. Now, when people do that, maybe they're five years away or 10 years away from retirement, 20 years away, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a problem. That's inflation, right? Right. And so I try to come up with a simple calculator for inflation. I mean, you can go online and get all these calculators. So if you're driving around, stop the car, get your pen out. Right. <laughs> so if you're going to – and I just used a 3% inflation rate. You, all right. You could use we, – we use like 3.7 at Pure Financial just to be more conservative. It's been closer to 2% the last decade. But anyway, 3% is a pretty good average for the last 100 years. So I've used a 3%, and, I, and here, here's how it works, is if you're going to retire in – Five years from now, you've got a you got your expenses are sixteen percent higher. So let me give you an example. So you take seventy five thousand times one point one six. That's sixteen percent. So and that gets eighty seven thousand. So here's where you need a pencil is to write down these figures. If it's five years from now, 
you're going to have to add 16% to your expenses. If it's 10 years from now, you've got to add 34%. If it's 20 years from now, you have to add 81%. 16, 34, 81. So 20 years from now, it's the dollar is basically what you're saying is going to lose 84% of its value? Yeah, 81% is, 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 of is value. correct. In other words... Or I need $2 just about a dollar eighty-four to buy a dollar's worth of goods today. If you think about something that you're spending a dollar for today, it's going to cost you a dollar eighty-one. Or a dollar eighty-one, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You'll, 20 you'll years this. from now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, I will 16, get this. <laughs> 16, 34, 81, 5-year, <laughs> 10-year, 20-year. So it. that's your factor. Oh, those are that, that's going to be household factors. I'm too. saying. I'm going to keep know, the 4% it, rule. We're going to have big house inflation keep factors. Keep repeating it. 16, 34, 81, <laughs> 5, it. 10, 20. Got anyway, it. so here's my example. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you figured out that your net pays $75,000, and that's about what you're spending. Okay. All right. So, uh, okay. So you're going to want to retire five years from now. Yes. So you take... 75 times 1.16. So you take that 16%, which is 0.16 for you mathematicians, and you add it to 1. Got it. And so you just take 75 times 1.16. If it's 10 years, you take 75 times 1.34 and so on. Yes, we've been there. Yep. So let's do the 1.16. But a lot of people need refreshment of mathematics. (laughs) No, all they're getting now is just numbers. Right. So... (laughs) Anyway, so in other words, five years from now, you're going to be spending $87,000 to have the same lifestyle at a 3% inflation rate. Got it. Okay. Can we call it 90? Yeah, we'll call it 90. All right. Okay. Just round. Yeah, we'll round it up. And so $75,000 today, if you want to retire in five years, assume a 3% inflation rate, you need $90,000. Yeah, that's right. All right. Now, then figure out, your. so if you need that, then you look at your Social Security. Okay. Right? Figure out what that is. And so let's just say your Social Security and pension plan is 50000 mm-hmm. for example. So you, you need ninety. your fixed income is going to be fifty. So your shortfall, what we call a shortfall, is $40,000. 40 and here's the thing that we don't often talk about is the, the inflation factor. So that's why I wanted to throw that in, because if you retire just a few years from now, it can be fairly different numbers depending upon inflation. Sure. But using that figure, if you need $40,000, then you take that times 25. That's another factor I want you to memorize. Mm-hmm. And that would tell you 40000 times 25 is a million bucks. Right? That's how much you would need. And then sometimes people say, well, forget about it. It's, it's impossible. <laughs> I'm never going to retire, or this is hopeless, or or whatever. But the truth is, uh, and I just did a little example of somebody that, in my example, I didn't round. I had eighty-seven thousand minus fifty. So, in other words, the shortfall was thirty-seven thousand times twenty-five. That's nine hundred twenty-five thousand dollars is what you need. If you got six hundred thousand today, I know that's a lot, but let's just say you did. You need to save twenty-two thousand dollars a year at six percent. You'd get to nine twenty-five. Interestingly enough, if you have 691000 call it 700000 right now. <laughs> okay. I know you like to round. <laughs> then you don't need to save a penny. You just, if you can earn 6% per year, you get to that 925. And a lot of times people are 10 or 20 years out, and, and they see they need a million bucks, and they only got 250000 Right. But the power of compounding money, like, like just the, the rule of 72 means you take 72 and divide it by a number of years, and that's the rate of return that you need to, to double. And the one people, the easiest one is 7%, which is roughly 10 years. In 10 years, your investment doubles. So $250,000 becomes 500000 500000 becomes a million. That's without saving another dollar at 7% over 20 years. So that's how this can work. So don't get too frustrated if you're way off the mark. It depends upon how much longer you have to work and, and how, how this can work. 
Seven percent. Do you think that's reasonable? Twenty years. I think it's reasonable if you have probably a 60, 40, maybe 70, 30 percent allocation, a little bit more aggressive, maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, however, we're, the market, the CAPE ratio is pretty high. So Ooh, some, peop some people would say maybe we're not going to have as high a return. And nobody knows is the thing. It, it's, we do know that stocks outperform like CDs and bonds over the long term. But we also know that when stocks are high, the future expected return is lower than if the stocks are low, then the future expected return is higher. So it's hard to know exactly. I think I, I typically use a 6% in something like this. I think that's more conservative. Some of you might want to use a 5%, and that's, that's fine. But anyway, this step, you, if you'll take this, this step, and if, if you, um, I'll tell you what, if, if it was just too much, I'm going to write this down. We're going to put it in our show notes. And so you'll have the example. You wow. can follow it on our, on our podcast. Okay. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to download that quick retirement calculator from the podcast show notes to find out if you're on track for retirement. That segment was from YMYW Podcast Episode 176 in July of 2018, by the way. The Your Money, Your Wealth TV show is now in Season 8. Click the link to our YouTube channel in the podcast show notes to subscribe and watch on demand. The next question you need to answer before you retire is, when should we claim Social Security? Joe and Big Al answered that question for Larry in Ohio. Larry writes in somewhere near Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Andy, Big Al, and Joe. God, that's annoying. <laughs> love, love, love the show. Uh, yours is one of the few podcasts in my rotation that I faithfully listen to every week. You are the car talk of personal finance, extremely informative while being incredibly entertaining. I have a question regarding when my wife and I begin to draw Social Security. I'm 58, she's 60. We both retired within the past year. We are considering waiting to age 70 before either of us draws Social Security. We are fortunate to have saved more than significant post and pre-tax savings from which we will draw to pay for living expenses uh, until age 70 and beyond. My expected Social Security payment at 70 will be 3000 bucks. My wife's is going to be $1,800, uh, so $4,800 combined. We both are in good health and hope to live past the break-even point and maybe into our 90s. My question is, uh, given that we can... Given that we can forestall, 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 <laughs> hold off on <laughs> forestall in seven years ago. <laughs> okay, drawing on Social Security until we are eligible for the maximum benefit, should we necessarily do so? Okay, is there any circumstance in which one of us might want to consider drawing earlier? or which delaying for a larger benefit is not financially meaningful. Thanks for your opinion and insight. Okay, so he's saying, hey, just because we can afford to forestall our Social Security benefit, should we? Yeah, that's what he asked. And he's looking at this as an investment, Alan, not necessarily insurance. So we can answer this two ways. I guess the insurance ways, if you think you're going to live into your 90s, then forestall. Right? I, because it's I, a guaranteed I, I, income stream that you're going to have for the rest of your life. Well, I, I would say um, if you're both going to live into your 90s, which hopefully you do, then, then you both delay. If one of you, for some reason, has impaired life expectancy, I would have um, Larry at least then wait till age 70 
because he's got the higher benefit. It's a it's got a the higher higher ben- right the higher benefit, and then maybe his his spouse could then draw earlier, right? Because mm-hmm. if if one isn't going to make it till let's say eighty, maybe makes maybe that's seventy five, then you might as well get that other spousal income early, right? And then the then the, the whatever spouse survives the other one gets the higher benefit. So that could be a reason why you wouldn't do both at age seventy. So uh, or you do this. You take it at 62, both of you, and then invest it. You don't need it. You have other assets, and then just be more aggressive with it. I mean, what's the goal, right? Is it like when I die, I'm on my deathbed, and I want to add up all the money that I got from Social Security. If I took it at 62 and invested it, took it at 67 or 70, right, and spent it. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish, right? If, if you look at it as an investment, you can run any assumption that you want and probably taking it early at 62 and, in, 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 and then using a fairly high expected rate of return uh, would probably give you the highest amount of money. Uh, but there's no guarantees there. I guess there's no guarantees in life, right? Um, we believe that if you push it out as long as you can, it's a guaranteed income source by the federal government um, promising us that today. Um, it has a fairly high um, probably, you know, a probability of paying out versus getting maybe an a 8 or 10 or 12% rate of return in the overall markets, right? So, you, you just have to take a look at what risks you're willing to take. Yeah, I think you said it right, Joe. The, the key is we kind of look at this as, as insurance. It, it's, a, it's, it's backed by the government. And by the way, say what you want about the government, our government also controls the money supply. So they're gonna make the payments, right? So could they change the rules, maybe? And, and so there could be a concern about means testing. It's been discussed, there's nothing in the works right now, but that means testing would mean at a certain income level or certain asset level, maybe you don't get all your benefits. It's possible. There's nothing being discussed right now. And I actually, Joe, even if something like that happens, it will probably happen for someone probably younger than 50, wouldn't you say? I mean, it probably won't happen with the, the baby boomer generation, which right. they're part of. So, well, yeah. I mean, uh, stranger things have happened because they changed the claiming, you know, with the uh, file and suspend and everything else. They grandfather just a, a short window of people. Uh, usually they, they grandfather a lot larger group of people, but um, yeah, I don't know. You, you look at this. I agree with you. If, if they got a large pension, you know, will they means test it? Probably, um, you know, uh, it, 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 it could happen. So I don't know. There's all sorts of things that, that I guess you could look at depending on how you want to look at the system. Yeah, but I think the key is that it's it's like people look at this as break even, and when you pass away, who cares? Right? Who cares? You're dead. <laughs> no one's ever complained and saying, "Damn it, I should I should have claimed it earlier." I should have claimed early, man. You know, they're on their deathbed. Do you have any regrets? Yes. Should have claimed my Social Security benefits earlier. Damn it. Then they croak. Arm yourself with the information you need to get every Social Security dollar to which you are entitled. Download the Social Security Handbook from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. The third question to answer before you retire is how can we reduce taxes in retirement? If you listen to this show at all, you already know that Joe and Big Al are likely to say to fully utilize the Roth IRA. Popular financial guru Rick Edelman, however, not so much. In episode 212, the fellas offered their rebuttal to Rick's anti-Roth stance. 
this is a question that we have received a few times in the past, Alan. Okay. And this is from April from Illinois. Okay. Um, we used to do a full segment on this, didn't we? Usually, what 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 is Rick Edelman saying? <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. She's like, all right, well, what do you think of Rick Edelman's opinion of Roth IRAs? So, first disclosure, I'm a, a big fan of Rick. Um, I, Alan, I know Rick personally. Yeah, we do. Uh, that's a name drop. <laughs> if you're not in the industry, you probably don't know what we're talking about. But if you're in the industry, you go, whoa, oh, oh, yeah. those guys know Rick Edelman. That's pretty yeah. good. Um, I know him by name. <laughs> How about that? You, you, well, and he, he, knows me, he knows by, me by name when he looks at my name tag. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> at conferences I go to. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, there's, I, I think there's difference of opinions in some of the planning that we do versus what his firm does. Yeah, I, I would say there's probably more similarities than differences, but we, we do have differences. I think our investment philosophy are almost... Right on. Pretty close, yeah. Pretty close there. Okay. I think w- when you look at Social Security benefits, strategies or claiming strategies to pension, eh, I mean, to life insurance, all of it. Uh, but when it comes to taxes, we differ. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, here's the reason why I believe is that we are a smaller boutique registered investment advisor with CPAs on staff. Um, we have a very strong financial planning process that monitors all the financial planning that goes through, and we spend a lot of money basically on very good talent to make sure that we provide a phenomenal product in regards to planning. Right, which includes a huge emphasis on income taxes, which most firms don't really do, including Rick's firm. And I think there's liability there. Yes, I, there is. Yeah, right? we're taking a chance. It's so, we're not taking a chance. It's <laughs> that we're giving value that most firms don't necessarily want to because it's like, well, here, they can get tax advice from their CPA. Right. They can get their tax advice from their um, enrolled agent or whatever. They can do it on their own. We don't want to get in that business. We're in the business of helping them build their wealth via through asset management. Right. of their focus is more or less investment management. You can get a financial plan through for Edelman or any of these other really fine financial planning firms for maybe a couple hundred bucks. It's not a financial plan, in my opinion. It's a cash flow analysis just to see if you're on track or not. They might run a couple Monte Carlos, and it'll take them 15 minutes to put together. And it really helps them to identify how many other assets that you have really to see, okay, well, what can we do and how much money can we manage? And I think that's a fact with a lot of firms. And there's nothing wrong with that because they're helping them, A, create a net worth statement, which is key, and then looking at, well, what do they need to do with the net worth to help them grow? And if their firm's helping them build wealth, well, God bless them. We take a little bit different stance to say, okay, well, yes, building wealth is key, but how can you also build wealth from things that you can control? And taxes, in our opinion, are a huge thing that you can control. And so the biggest emphasis that we made since day one with Peer Financial Advisors is that, all right, we want to have coordinations of different professionals, CPAs, attorneys, certified financial planners, money managers, all sitting around the same table looking at things with an objective viewpoint. Uh, and I think that's what made us what one of the fastest growing financial planning firms here in the nation. April from Illinois, uh, she had uh, sent us a little excerpt from, I think, Rick Edelman's and did they change his name too? Is it now Edelman Financial Engines? 
Is mm. that the that, is that the uh, official name? That I don't know. Okay. Um, and th- sent that to us about his opinion on Roth IRAs. If you've ever listened to our show before, you probably have gathered that Al and I are pretty large fans of uh, Roth IRAs. And so she wanted to get our opinion. And so let me read this real quick of what Edelman says about Roths, and then uh, we can rebuttal here. Uh, from Edelman, he's like, first ask yourself, what's the goal of investing? Why put money into an IRA in the first place? Obviously, the goal is to accumulate wealth, as much wealth as you possibly can on an after-tax basis. Uh, the question then becomes, what type of IRA produces more wealth, the traditional or the Roth? Uh, the answer might surprise you, says Edelman. Uh, if you run the numbers on a spreadsheet, which isn't hard to do, you'll quickly discover the answer is neither. It's a wash. There's no difference. If you convert to a Roth, you trigger a tax immediately, but converting won't increase your wealth. So why pay a tax right now that you don't have to pay? Let's stop there, Al. Okay. Let's l- l- break so, this down. What's he talking about? So he, All right. So he's saying, so you pay the tax now. And, and then you've got lesser to invest, right? Or you don't pay the tax, you get a higher balance, but then you pay the tax later, a higher tax. But when you do the math, all things being equal, you end up with the same net number. So, for instance, if I had $100,000 um, in an IRA, right. and let's say I had $25,000 outside of my IRA. So I had $125,000 total. Okay, so that's your net worth. That's my net worth. hundred, hundred grand in an IRA, $25,000 in a brokerage account. Got it, okay. And if I decided to convert that $100,000 into a Roth IRA, um, the Roth IRA goes in, or the hundred grand of the IRA goes into the Roth. Now I have $100,000 in a Roth. Right. But I have to pay tax to get the 100000 in, and let's assume I'm in the 25% rate. Okay. So that cost me $25,000 in tax. Okay. Is that fair? Does that make it, sense? It does. So you did the Roth, and so now your net worth is only 100000 because you lost 25000 to tax. Correct. So, the, so, the, so you immediately went backwards. I went backwards. Yeah. It's like, why in hell would you do this? <laughs> so $125,000 is my net worth. And then if I did the Roth conversion, I have to pay the tax up front to get that money to grow tax-free. Right. So now I have 100000 in the Roth. Sure. But let's say you go 10 years out and the money doubles. It grows at 7%. Okay. So now that $100,000 is worth 200000 but it's all tax-free. That's pretty cool. In the Roth, yeah. In the Roth. Rick Edelman's point is this. He's like, let's say you don't do anything. You keep the $100,000 in the IRA, you keep the $25,000 in your brokerage account, and you invest them the same. Sure. And let's assume they get a 7% rate of return over the 10 years, and then with that, it will double. Yeah. Okay, so that's 250000 So yeah, that 100000 is now two hundred. And then the twenty five is now fifty. Yeah. So in to- so your total net worth went from one hundred twenty five thousand to two hundred fifty thousand. So you're thinking, well, the two fifty is a lot more money than the two hundred in the Roth. In the Roth, yeah. But what are we forgetting? Yeah. You, when you take the money out of the Roth, you, or the IRA, you got to pay tax. So if I take the two hundred thousand dollars out of the IRA, what yeah. do I truly net? Yeah, twenty five percent tax rate, fifty thousand tax. So now you end up with two hundred thousand net, which is the same as what you had in the Roth. But how about that twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars? Though I have to pay tax on that too, right? If there's yeah, if there's gain, you bet. Well, you, well it did gain, right? It yeah. was twenty-five to fifty. That's, so I got to pay true. a capital gains tax on that. True. So I think Rick's math is off a little bit too here. Well, and and plus, I mean, that's a that's like a I don't know, like a like a lab textbook case. Yep. There's so many other variables that make this so much better. But that's but that's our starting point. So. 
he's thinking, all right, well, it's a wash. If you pay off your mortgage, is do you increase your net worth? No. No. Because you took one asset and reduced a liability, so you got the same net worth. When we look at Roth conversions, that's how we look at it, is that we're paying off a mortgage. We're buying our partnership back from the IRS. Yeah, because you got to look at your IRA as though it's not all yours, because there's a tax component when you withdraw the funds. So there's a mortgage on the overall IRA, yeah. and so you're trying to figure out what's the best way to get rid of the mortgage or, or, or reduce the mortgage as much as you can. Sure. So by having money in a Roth IRA... And having money in a traditional IRA, there's many more benefits than just looking at a straight-line Excel spreadsheet evaluation. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Right. Uh, one of the biggest, in my opinion, is that you now have control on your distribution. How much that you pull from an IRA and then how much that you can pull from the Roth. Maybe you do a 50-50 split. Hey, I'm going to pull 50 percent from my IRA, 50% from my Roth IRA, that could keep me in a very low tax bracket, even though I have very high cash flow. Right. So you're you're managing your distributions to keep out of the higher tax brackets. That's one. Two, there is no required minimum distribution in Roth IRA. So that money can continue to compound for my life, spouse's life, kids' life. Right. Pretty good. Number three, asset location. So if I manage my affairs effectively from an asset location, I will probably have investments in my Roth IRA that have a higher expected rate of return than I would in a standard IRA, because all of the growth now is going to grow tax-free. Yeah, so then you have your your lower expected return assets in your IRA, and you end up with a lot more after-tax money. So when I'm considering now the tax code itself of the tax reform has reduced marginal rates, what five of the seven marginal rates are yeah, now are lower are, are lower so in and some words, of them by a fairly rate, large margin tax rates are cheaper right now so does it make sense for me to pay a cheaper rate today than wait and pay a more expensive rate in the future that makes sense to me it so does. that's another I, I think a win for for doing Roth especially right now because very few taxpayers are subject to alternative minimum tax which substantially increases the tax rate plus we have lower rates then Joe you combine that with it's it's not, there's there's other tax planning strategies that you can do to lower your taxable income that allow you to do Roth conversions in a yet a lower tax bracket you just have to know what they are and if you put all of these things together and you do this same mathematics you come out much better doing the Roth IRA i will say if so if Congress, our government, decides to tax Roth IRAs... Well, let, let, let me finish what he, he wrote yeah, here. Okay. He goes, uh, you also asserted that the Roth avoids uh, the requirement to take distribution starting at 70 and a half. So I'm reading back to Rick's here. Okay. Uh, can you count on that forever? Be aware that President Obama inserted language in the 2015 budget that would require distributions from Roths at age 70 and a half, just as with traditional IRAs. So Rick is saying, hey, you know what? You like the fact that there is no RMDs? No. Nope. They might change that. They're going to change it. Barack Obama tried, but he failed. But they maybe could. Trump can do it or whoever's next. Uh, so that's one of my fears about Roth, says Rick. Uh, the government could change the rules at any time and do it retroactively. If you won't reach age 70 for another 20 years, you'll go through 10 Congresses and maybe five presidents. Are you sure they won't ever change the rules? Consider that Ross will hold trillions of dollars by then. Money that's currently tax-free. That's a pretty tempting target for a legislator trying to generate tax revenue. 
All right. So what do you think? Changing the rules on RMDs, Al? <laughs> I, I, I would say the changing the rules on a Roth uh, to have RMDs, that could happen. But if it does happen, then that money comes out tax-free. You would have a little bit less control. But still, for all the reasons that we already mentioned, you come up in a, with a much better in, in a much better place. That I think the bigger concern is, will they change the whole structure and say, you know what, Social Security never used to be taxable. Now, and Roths are not taxable. Now, Social Security is taxable. Let's make Roths taxable. And I would say that's highly unlikely for that, just because whenever they've made changes in retirement code before, they've always grandfathered the old, old stuff in. You know, uh, last comment on this is that most of the younger generation, the millennials, um, are putting most of their dollars into Roth IRAs. And so his argument here of saying, hey, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years from now, there'll be trillions of dollars in Roth IRAs. You don't think they're going to change it? But Rick, guess whose trillions of dollars that is? It's the people that are going to be in Congress. And who are they supporting? The people that have all the Roth IRAs that are not going to stand for that. They're not going to hurt themselves. Learn as much as you can about the Roth IRA. Download the complete Roth Papers package from the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. All these financial resources are free, by the way. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app and get downloading. The fourth question to answer before you retire is, are we prepared for future medical costs? In episode 213, Tom from Colorado called on YMYW to spitball whether he and his wife should buy long-term care insurance or self-insure. Hi, my name's Tom. Uh, My wife and I are both in our early 60s. I've been reviewing long-term health care policies, and they don't really seem to offer a lot of coverage. And I wondered what the analysis is, what kind of financial analysis in terms of whether I should purchase long-term care insurance or just self-insure that and invest the money to have it there for if and when it's needed. We have enough assets to self-insure, but I'm not sure that's the wisest thing to do, and I'm trying to evaluate this risk. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking my call. All right. Uh, Tom, thanks so much uh, for giving us a buzz. Alan, what do you think? Because... Well, I, Tom's I, sitting in the same boat that you're in. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I'm in my early 60s, and and that's a decision that you got to look at. So here, here's a, a few things I might say, and that is the long-term care insurance, relative to let's say 10 years ago, is a lot more expensive. And the uh, benefits have reduced significantly. And the benefits have reduced. So so the the actual getting those policies is. I mean, it used to be clearer. Now it's not as clear to me that there's a huge benefit. I, I would say this, honestly, if you can self-insure, that, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a matter of its insurance. If you want to have the insurance company handle some of that risk, like any insurance policy, if you, if you end up needing it, you'll be very happy you have it. If you don't need it, you'll be thinking, why did I do this? But here's the analysis, is that, Tom, just take a look at what the premium is. All right. So you're in your early 60s. You're probably not going to need this benefit for, what, 25 years. Okay. Alan's going to need a benefit probably a lot (laughs) sooner than that. (laughs) That's probably true. Um, So let's say that you buy a policy for $10,000 a year, hypothetically, for $300,000 in benefit. Right. I have no idea. I don't know what he's looking at. I don't know what, um, you know, is it a... What, what his uh, elimination period is. 
I don't know if he's getting it with his spouse to get a spousal discount. There's all sorts of iterations on how you can buy a standalone long-term care insurance policy. And let's just explain what that is first, is that a long-term care policy works as if you have one of your activities of daily living, um, I guess two out of the four, um, I think there's four. I'm not an yeah, insurance agent, I, but I, I think, think there's, there's four. four. If, if two of those go bad, right? you can't bathe yourself or close yourself, yeah, right. you can't get out of bed, can't transfer, can't move, um, right? And consonants? Eating, yeah. bathing, dressing, toileting, transferring, and maintaining continence. Okay. Well, there's, yeah, I yeah, guess there's a little bit Six more than four. Six, Six of them. Right. Six. So if two of those go bad, then you can... Um, the, then the long-term care insurance would trigger. So if you have it. If you it would, have it. So now trigger. you need help. You need someone to help do one of those activities of daily living. And so you can go into a home right, um, and have full-time care. And that full-time care, it, it, in Colorado, I don't know, I'm guessing it's going to co- cost you sixty to $80,000 a year. Depending on where you go, you could probably go to a really nice place and it's going to cost you a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, or you could go somewhere that's not so nice and it'll probably cost you fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. So, on average, right, the average person's long term care stay is roughly four years, right? So, if it's going to cost you fifty thousand dollars a year for four years, you know, you can do the math somewhat easy, that's going to be two hundred thousand dollars. So you could say this, all right, well, $200,000 is what the need is in today's dollars, right? So that is also going to increase with the cost of inflation of probably close to, what, 7 8%. So that $200,000 is going to be roughly 400000 You following my math here, folks? Just I, barely. I, I got it. I'm all right. With you. Thank you. So what Tom needs to do is say, well, what's the need, right? In future dollars, it's going to cost me X, $400,000 of monies, that needs to come from somewhere to pay for the care. So he can insure it by buying a long-term care policy and saying, all right, well, I want to cover that need by either 100%, 50%, 30%, whatever he wants to do, right? So maybe it's a little bit of self-insure like Al suggested. Maybe you fully insure, or maybe you do somewhere in the middle, all right? So you do somewhere in the middle and you say, I want to cover half of the cost. So you need $200,000 of benefit, hypothetically. Then you look at what does a pre- what's the premium going to cost me to get this $200,000 of benefit? And if that cost is $5,000 a year, $10,000 a year, whatever it is, you take that premium dollar that is going to go to the long-term care policy, and then you say, let's say I invest that premium versus buying the policy. What rate of return do you need to generate on that premium dollar right, to get you to the same pool of money that you would have as the long-term care policy would pay out, right? Does that all jive? <laughs> let me let me make it simpler. Well, that was simple. I know, but I'm going to go back to my answer, right. which is when you do all this math, what you're going to find is that by the time you add up all your premiums and put in a rate of return, that sum total is going to be less than your benefit, right? So, in other words, if you need it you're going to be glad that you have it. If you don't need it, it's wasted money. That, that's what you're going to find after you do all this. Right. And you're absolutely right. That is the way to do the calculation. Yeah, because I think that's what he was asking. He's like, well, you know, financially speaking, how do I calculate this? How do I calculate the risk? Well, the likelihood of you going into a long-term care facility, Tom, is probably pretty high. I mean, it's higher than 
um, other types of risks. In high means, I don't know, maybe 50%. Yeah, something like that. And it doesn't mean it's going to be four years. It might be a few days. It so. could, yeah, you break a hip, right? Right. Yeah. Or you could be like Christopher Reeve and be in there for 20 years. Who knows? Could be. Yeah. Right? Or maybe you die of a massive heart attack or you die yeah. peacefully in your sleep. Yeah. And you don't need it. We, yes. But the fact of the matter is that long-term care premiums are, or the, the, the benefit is tax-free. So you got to do a break-even analysis. Uh, but you're absolutely right, Al. It's just like, you know, I have home insurance and I, I pray that my house doesn't burn down. <laughs> Right. Actually, but, it's even more than that. Longtermcare.acl.gov says someone turning age 65 today has almost a 70% chance of needing some type of long-term care services. Yeah, but, but that also could be an in-home in service person that comes in once a week and Washes your sheets, so it's, yeah. it doesn't. It they, that's a pretty. That's, <laughs> oh my that's God! A, I just had the sickest <laughs> thought in my. Oh, of course oh you would. God. Oh boy, washing Big Al's sheets. I mean, that would. I would. I would want to get paid a hundred grand a, a well, wash sheet on that. See, and this is why you don't want to inflict that upon your spouse. Oh my goodness gracious! All right. Long-term care is one part of healthcare and retirement, but of course, Medicare is a big factor too. Listen to YMYW podcast number 226, a Medicare beginner's guide with everything you need to know, courtesy of Danielle Kunkel-Roberts from Boomer Benefits. You'll find it in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Now, the final question you need to answer before you punch the clock is this. How will we fill our time in retirement? So what? Early retirement can well, cause this, death? This caught my attention, Joe, because now I'm 60, yeah. and it says, why early retirement can be a killer. This came out in... Um, well, what uh, do they consider early retirement? 62. That's early retirement? Oh, that's just early retirement due to Social Security Yeah, well, yeah. Now, under the FIRE... You know, uh, the FIRE movement. The, yeah, yeah, that's... Early, Financial early. independence, retire early. Yeah, you could retire... 35 40. or 40 whatever but no this is this is we'll, we'll call it the baby boomers right and and uh, there's a lot of people pick their retirement age based upon social security right. and there's there's three key ages there's 62 that's the earliest you can take social security that's your full retirement age which is age 66 where you get your full benefits and then you can wait till age 70 and get even more benefits so the sooner you take it the less income you get for the rest of your life. Yeah, but then the, you look at it. Well, you got it at sixty-two, so you had that those right. dollars. Let's say if you sixty-two to seventy, it's like all right. Well, here I can have yeah. this income for eight years. Yeah. So that's right, and and it depends when you look at all kinds of analysis. Uh, depending upon when you take it, if you take it later rather than early, the break-even point somewhere around eighty years old, give or, give or take, depending upon what assumptions. Well, I mean, yeah, is. you can run all sorts of crazy assumptions. Right. 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 You know, here I'm going to take my social security at sixty-two and invest it. Yeah, you in could. a tax-free bond, getting eight percent. Right, we don't find that happening too often. But uh, anyway, so this is a National Bureau of Economic Research. Uh, a couple authors did this study, uh, and they found Joe that there's an increase in mortality among men who retire at age sixty-two. How many people did they survey? Doesn't did they say. say. Doesn't say. All right, I'm just going to take this at face value because it's probably a thousand people. <laughs> Five thousand. <laughs> but they've got two authors, uh, uh, one from Cornell University and one from University of Melbourne in Australia. They must be smart. Yes. So, uh, but here's what they found: they found that the increase in death rate is quite large, uh, particularly among males who retire and claim Social Security at age 62. In fact, there's about a 20 percent blip. In other words, people <laughs> when for, for the average 62 year old. Uh, 
I, and I, I don't, it doesn't really go into how they measure it. I'm just going to assume that they kind of looked maybe the next year. But there's, there's a normal death rate for a 62-year-old. And those, that, those men that retired and took Social Security at age 62, there's 20% more likelihood that they'll pass away. So how do they do that? So at the funeral? They're asking, "Hey, when did he retire?" Yeah, they 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 get they got all the mortuaries and they just go around to these funerals and <laughs> they read the old bits. Say, well, well, anyway. So then they then and and I guess they, uh, you know, I'm not a statistician, but uh, at least or they, an economist. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> and this, and this, but this article uh, basically says that this is not a fluke. This is not a statistical fluke. Okay, so I'm going to take that at face value right. right now. And then they try to figure out, well, why is this happening, right? Because it's not so much in women, it's men. Oh, yeah, right? I can see that. And they, here's what they, they uh, this is circumstantial evidence. So this is, you know, so this isn't scientific, but this is what they came up with, that, that males, uh, retirees become sedentary. They often watch more television. Sure. They often drink more alcohol. Yep. They often smoke oh. more tobacco. Oh, there you go. And, uh, Sounds like a great retirement. <laughs> That's where I sign up. <laughs> can, I, can I retire tomorrow? Uh, and then they, then they. Uh, furthermore, uh, unlike women, uh, they appear to have fewer social interactions when they stop working. Sure. And I think, I, I mean, I, I've seen that in in the men and women that I know. I mean, uh, and you and I, Joe, I think most of the people that we know well, we work with. Yeah. Right. right. And then once we stop working, then it's. You, that it's not that that relationship is severed, but you you don't have that constant contact anymore. I mean, and I think at any age, you know, yeah. If, let's say if I go to a house party, right? You'll I'll talk to two or three guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you just kind of you, you know, like you're you're close knit. Yeah. Right. And then you see the, you know, let's say if I bring a date, you know, she's talking to like thirty women. Right. Yeah. And they're like going crazy, and they're exchanging their email addresses, oh, yeah. and, you know, cell meeting. phone numbers. Ex- yeah. yeah, let's let's get coffee together. Oh, a glass of wine. Oh, I I'm like, it. oh, this guy's kind of a... <laughs> get me the hell out of here. Are we too judgmental? Is maybe that the problem? Not. I don't know. <laughs> I think well, maybe we get stuck in our ways a little bit differently. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so anyway, so I guess I guess I won't be retiring at 62. There you go. Because I don't necessarily want to sit on the couch and, and watch smoke, television and smoke, smoke and drink. And drink. <laughs> I've never smoked, so that doesn't really sound very appealing. I do, I do like a beer yeah, every man. now and again. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Fine. I mean, because it, it's Saturday every day, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And so I when know. it's Saturday, it's like, yeah, I can have a couple cocktails because yeah. tomorrow's Sunday. Right. Yeah. You know, there's no real huge responsibilities there. I, I do know. But then I'm... all of a sudden, if it's Tuesday, yeah, and you're sitting at the bar <laughs> at noon, yes, right, something's wrong. Yeah. Although I do know when when I go on vacations, and someday when you actually go on vacations, yeah. you'll notice that you do drink more on vacations. Yes, well, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's why I don't go on vacation. Now. <laughs> it would be yeah. too tough on your, your yeah. body. <laughs> anyway, so that I thought that but was... But I think that's a good point that people have to take a look at, you know, the, the, the softer side of right. retirement, is that, you know, we spend a lot of time on the show of... Talking Taxes money, right? And, yeah, right. Do yeah, you have enough ad, money? How do you create the income, Social Security, or everything else? Right. But if you have all the money in the world and you're sitting on the couch watching reruns of The Family Feud, <laughs> you know? Yeah, one of our clients I, I saw about a year ago, I was riding up the elevator with him and, hey, 
how's how's retirement going? He said, a lot different than I thought. Right. It was about a year into it. And I said, oh, why is that? He goes, well, my wife and I love to play bridge, and I thought we'd be playing all the time. But she has these bridge groups. They're mostly women, so I'm not really invited to them, and I'm just, there's nothing to do. <laughs> so he thought he thought he'd be playing bridge with his <laughs> wife. Across and, the country. And she's thinking... Get, no way! That. You know, I got that's my, my own, stuff. I got my own friends. Right, we've been right. doing this for years. <laughs> yes, you're not invited <laughs> to the club. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. So, but so I think it's just looking at all right before you retire. Of course, you want to make sure that you do have enough capital to maintain the lifestyle yeah. that you want. Yeah. But also start writing things down of what you want to do, what you want to accomplish, yeah. what your social circle is going to look like, right. and everything else. And and I would say even taking it a step further is, is start that before you retire. Right. So like let's say you love to play um, trumpet. <laughs> Oh my God, we got to take a break. <laughs> so if you if you want to play trumpet, then why don't you get involved with a with an, an orchestra? Get in a band, <laughs> just a marching well, band. Well, I say that because my dad loved to play French horn, and he actually did get in some bands while he was working, which continued when he retired. Oh. So Joe, do you do you play a trumpet or? Okay. All right, I, I did trumpet because that's a cool one. It's cool. I can see you do oh, trumpet. Oh yeah, right. Or saxophone. Oh, you ever played God. a sax? No, no, uh, no, no, not musically inclined. All right, that's it for us. We'll see you again next week. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. That was from podcast episode number 163, and you will find that and the article from which it came in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. And there is one final financial resource waiting for you in the podcast show notes to help you think about how to fill your days in retirement. It's the Retirement Lifestyles Guide. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app to access all of these free financial resources, to watch Joe and Big Al answer your money questions, to subscribe to the YMYW newsletter, and to schedule a no-cost, no-obligation financial assessment with one of the experienced financial professionals on Joe and Big Al's team at Pure Financial Advisors. They'll help you answer all of these retirement questions and put you on the path to a rock-solid retirement plan. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.